Welcome to another episode of Pro-Am Disc Golf. I'm Gavin Goodwin. And I'm Chris Lesbo. And we really appreciate you coming. Uh, oh, wait. I'm, I'm your amateur. And I'm your professional, but we do appreciate you. Yeah, we still do. I, on a, I appreciate you on an amateur level, Chris on a pro level. Actually, I'm a professional appreciator. Yeah, I think we both are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't have any sponsors right now between sponsors on appreciation, but <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm still keeping my pro status somehow. <laughs> have you ever seen the movie Rad? No. You should. Is it rad? It's. So when I said that, there's a significant portion of our listeners that just got a huge grin on their face hearing the movie Rad. And then everybody else said, what? <laughs> so Rad is an 80s BMX movie. Oh, okay. That's pretty great. That sounds good. Yeah. But there's a some shenanigans with sponsorships in that oh. movie. And, you know, uh, Rad Racing has to be formed okay. to uh, end up sponsoring whatever his name is to to, to uh, compete. So, Interesting. Uh, well, that's our podcast about rad. So <laughs> We're so well versed. I wonder when and if we will ever get a disc golf movie, probably never, but even like mention of disc golf in... I've never even heard it mentioned in a movie. I see a lot of movies. It's in a lot of TV shows. Is it? Yeah. It's like in, what? I mean, it's in Seinfeld. Disc golf? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. George is telling Jerry. He's telling them all about Frolf. Huh. Yeah. And then there are baskets in the background of a bunch of movies. You huh. just got to know where to look. Yeah. Probably, are they just probably filmed at a park that happens yeah. to have a course on it? Okay. Which is awesome still. Yeah. Like they're there. But someday, I don't think we'll get a feature film. I mean, no. how fun would Tin Cup be to watch if people are just throwing discs in a pond? Uh, well, if it's written well and, and acted well, I think it could be, you know. I think we have a better chance with like a Caddyshack than a Tin Cup. Yeah. There probably will be, well, there probably is already some like independent something made by somebody. There's music videos that center around disc golf. I've seen those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Valley and Rocket. <laughs> yeah. If there is a disc golf movie, I want to know. Yeah, let us know. And uh, if there's not, go make one, but make it good. And then let us know. Yeah, and then let us know. And we'll, we'll happily uh, promote it on the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, we reached out this week to Facebook and to, well, Chris has been injured, so he hasn't been playing any disc golf. I've been uh, being a dad. So I haven't played a lot of disc golf, um, but I actually will tell one story because uh, anybody that, well, I don't think anybody, I don't know that anybody listens to it that was there, but there was a recent tournament, unsanctioned, just a little fundraiser tournament for, to get some new locks for the uh, baskets at one of our local parks here. And uh, so I registered and I played and it was a just mixed groups uh, shotgun start. So I showed up a little bit late and just raised my hand. There were a couple guys that needed a third, third, and so they let me play in their group. Really nice guys, uh, Dylan and Trevor, I believe are their names. Um, so we start off on, this is at Creekside, and I think it's hole 13 with the double Mando pin position. Okay. So it's about, what, 15 feet off the tee. There's a fairly narrow double I, I Mando. I would say, yeah, 20 to 30 feet off the tee. It's oh, is that far off? 10 yeah. feet wide. So it it's the type of thing that can mess you up. And mm-hmm. the DZ is right between there. So they wanted to, one of them said, let's start there because the shotgun starts. We've got to pick our hole. They wanted to start there just to get it over with. Okay. So, which is pretty good. 
I had probably my best drive off of there. Like, you know, went out, got parted. And uh, we're working our way through the back end of this course. And I am playing, for me, the best round that I've ever played there. I'm just parring everything. I wasn't burning, but I was parring everything. Still. And then it fell apart. (laughs) And by the the end of the round, um, I... So there was no rec division, so I was playing an intermediate division. Okay. Um, I had the highest score of the tournament, not just in my division, of the nice. tournament. Nice. I think it was like 88 or something, which is really bad. Like, And then uh, Dylan on my card, I think it was Dylan, had the one won the division. So it was kind of oh, a wow. fun card. That's cool. <laughs> but it was the strangest thing. I kept uh, – my joke was that if there was a miscongeniality, I would have won it. Because I kept throwing and getting myself into trouble, but then I would get out and oh. I would recover pretty well. But then I just kept putting myself back into trouble. Oh. So I just kept getting five, 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 five. So just double bogeys. But um, that was a that was a bit of a bummer. But you had a par streak. I I had a for me honestly a pretty good par streak, but it definitely fell apart. And I'm realizing like there's just is something about tournaments like it just fell apart. So um, yeah, but it was fun. Good. That's yeah. that's more of the goal, I think. Yeah. So, but I'm I'm wishing there was a novice division because then I would have, you know. Well, I probably still finished last because a lot of those guys would have played novice if it was a division two. So you never know. You never know. But uh, it was fun. That's good. So I. But then I came home and I told my wife I got the highest score in the tournament. She goes, "What, really?" <laughs> All and excited she, for and you. And then I had to say, "Yeah, it's golf." And she goes, "Oh, ooh." <laughs> so. So that's not as good. Yeah. So you 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 don't want the highest score. <laughs> oh, so I've been I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> it's like when I was playing tennis with my dad once when I was like six, and uh, I thought I was just hitting the the ball as hard as I could and just hitting it over the fence and out. And I think this this racket club was like pretty near some busy streets, so those balls were gone, like on the freeway, <laughs> gone. And uh, I thought that was a good thing because I got it confused with baseball. I was like, oh, I'm hitting him out of the park. That's how I used to play tennis too. So It's more fun to see how far yeah. I could hit it. I, I wish I could blame this on being six and confused. No, it was just, just a lot of bad throws. but <laughs> Also some bad luck. But the, the luck was my fault because I threw it that way. So, um, But that, that's my uh, you know, recent experience with this golf. And uh, we've got... Um, so we reached out to so again, looking for topics tonight because we don't we haven't had a lot of disc golf in our own personal lives. So I posted on Facebook that we're recording and looking for topics, and we got a honestly really good response. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's just work down the list from Daniel Stall Daniel R Stalter, I think is his name. Uh, how how about what companies have the most consistent discs mold to mold? I think we kind of talked about this few weeks ago Mm -hmm. um but i think what he's saying here is if you just go and buy a buy a disc off the shelf and then you need another one and you need another one is it gonna that's that's how i'm interpreting the question like you you like you found a mid-range that you like and you want another of the same thing yeah so you go and buy the same disc in the same weight yep and you expect it to fly similarly um i don't really have a lot of thoughts on this because i've only i've been playing the game long enough to really figure it out and i i have i don't well i guess i've had good luck with innova because i've you know recently had to replace some of those i've had really good luck with uh dynamic mm-hmm. you know replacing a couple discs that i've lost or trying to you know get something that i 
beat in and wanting it to fly a little more how it was. Um, but I haven't personally haven't had any found anything that's been like way off. What I have found is that you know plastic types can vary quite a bit, but that's to be expected. So, but yeah. what about you? Uh, my answer would be the more of a, a mold that has been produced, the more inconsistent it will be. Hmm. So, like Destroyer, the most sold disc I think ever. At least on Infinite site, yeah. I think it's like the most Probably. sold golf disc. So say it is. If it's not, say it is. Yeah. Um, there are so many of them, and they've been made for so many years that there are going to be dozens of different flight characteristics within it. Yeah. Um, that's true for every company. Um, and I think they've started to own up to what certain runs do. So like Discmania acknowledges when they run a disc, it comes out different than the last time. So anybody who throws Discmania or knows a lot about it, they'll be like, I throw second run FDs and third run PDs, and they'll tell you what run because hmm. they're all different. Well, the interesting thing there is Discmania is molded by Innova. Uh-huh. So oh, they're all manufactured there. So it would serve to reason that Innova is going to be the same. There. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, as far as going and buying a duplicate for similarity, I think it's as long as you get same generation of disc, most companies will be pretty good. I think Trilogy might have a slight advantage in that they're newer. So a lot of those molds aren't are old. the same batch. Yeah. Whereas like you go buy a destroyer, you don't know if it's this year or last year, two years, whatever. And I, I don't expect you to have the answer to this, but I'm curious if Innova's ever just re-manufactured like a destroyer mold. Because they've got to have the, the yeah, I, you know, the blueprints. I would guess on. by now they have. Yeah. They've made too many. Yeah, or I'm sure they have dozens of them because they're making them at such a volume, but I wonder mm-hmm. if they just re remachine new molds. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's kind of a toss-up. Yeah. Um, all the disc companies do a pretty good job. Um, I would say the smaller the batch, or if you know what batch, everyone will be pretty consistent. But as far as off-the-shelf... Have you ever thrown, or at least you don't throw them anymore, but uh, like kind of the boutique brands? A handful. I... I have probably thrown like 10 or 15 brands in my life. Not any of the super, super small ones other than Mint. They make one disc. Oh, I haven't heard of them. Yeah. Casey Lee in Carolinas throws them. He throws them really well. So I've thrown their one disc. I've thrown some ABC, some Gateway, like these kind of smaller brands. Yeah. But not, nothing weird. Prodigy's the smallest brand probably that I've thrown. And that's Yeah, they're just... like fifth biggest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, um, and part of that is just seeing what looks interesting to me and what looks also too. I've, I've also in support small companies, like support mm-hmm. anybody who's trying to, to make disc golf products. If you find something you like, use it. But uh-huh. for me, I've, um, lose, especially when I was, you know, even newer in the sport that I am now would lose so much plastic that I would think I want to be able to, to replace this if I like it. Yeah. And so sometimes when you go in the store and it's like, there's one mold of this disc and it looks like it's been sitting on the shelf for, for 15 years, mm-hmm. chances of me finding it again are really slim to none. Yeah. So, and I think that's true with everybody. Yeah. So whatever run you find that you like, look for discs that look like it and feel like it Yeah. because they're probably the same run and then they're probably very close. That's my advice. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, and that's, probably another reason like why you can buy a stack of putters from a lot of places like yeah they sell them yeah. five packs or whatever i suggest buying your putting putters as soon as you find one you like buying a handful at the same time yeah so that they are the same yeah because nothing is worse than when you go buy a new putter and it doesn't feel quite right because it's not from the same set 
nothing in the world worse than that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm being hyper, I'm being obnoxious, Chris. Don't I know. Me. I was going to join you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but really, yeah, nothing. <laughs> okay. Uh, also from Daniel Stalter. Uh, do you grip for drives any differently between Heiser flat and Heiser? Um, and then he says, I enjoy your podcast. I live in Utah as well. I've been playing for four months and I love the Fort Buenaventura 18. So, uh, welcome to the sport and welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that's a good course to learn on. I'm a yeah. little jealous. Let, let us know how you found the show, Daniel. I'm curious. Was it word of mouth? Did you just search on Google or, or, you know, Apple or something? Just let us know. I'm, I'm infinitely curious about how people find the show. So, yeah. um, for me, uh, gripping differently. No. Because I'm still working on release angles a little bit. Like I threw a hyzer flip for the first Ooh. time on 18 at uh, Roots. Yeah. And it did what I wanted it to do. Awesome. It probably got me another 15, 20 feet of awesome. flight. Um, and 18 is a long hole yeah. or, you know, Four for plus. that course. Yeah. Um, and uh, it it did what it should have done. And like it wasn't a big one, but it but it went. And I was very happy with that. But I didn't really mess with my grip. I was just worried about angle. So, but what about you? Um, that, I actually have never thought about grip on different angle shots. The, the only change I might do if it's a distance driver and I'm throwing a hyzer, I'll slide my thumb towards the rim a little bit. And if I'm throwing a turnover, I'll slide my thumb in towards the center a little bit more. Is that just something you've developed or is that on purpose? Um, for me, if I hold the disc, I wish I had one today. If I hold the yeah, disc, we don't have a disc. Yeah. First time maybe. Um, if I hold it with my thumb near the rim, that outside edge droops a little bit more. And as soon as I slide my thumb in, it kind of presses into my palm and brings that outside edge back up. Okay. So it actually uh, accentuates the angle I'm starting it on. Uh, it's not a conscious thing. It's just when I think about throwing a certain angle, my thumb moves to help balance the yeah. disc in my hand. Okay. So maybe a little bit. Yeah. Well, there's your pro and perspective. Yeah. So I think if you're still working on, you know, release angle, I would say focus on release angle yeah. before you focus on grit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do certainly have uh, a different grip when I'm putting or when I'm, you know, laying up or things. I, I do more of a, I guess, a fan grip, like my fingers spread out, mm -hmm. whereas I try to power grip drives. Mm -hmm. And if I'm driving with anything but a driver, I kind of do like a modified fan grip. Nice. Because, That's what I do. And that gets into somebody else's question, but just big hands. We've talked about that. Yeah. Chris and I both have, yeah. have, you know, relatively large hands. I'm which, basically a, a bear. <laughs> you know, they say about big hands. Big gloves. No fairway drivers. Oh, yeah, no six speeds. It's my own rule. <laughs> uh, I've been really enjoying my getaway, by the way, which was technically a fairway driver, I think. It is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah that's, that's the that's the big hands fairway category. Yeah, it's got a wide rim, and it just goes really straight for me. Mm -hmm. So Forever. Uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, oh, no, this is a different Dan. Dan Stratton. Hi, Dan. Uh, their pictures look similar in the little circle. And they're both Dan S. Uh, so here's a question. Why is it called Anheuser instead of Antiheiser? It's shorter. Is that an anti? Is an a scientific term? Means uh, Meaning opposite? Or I, I would assume. Anti? Yeah. It might even be short for anti. It could be out yeah. of sheer laziness. I don't know. Uh, so then Jacob Bush replied to his comment. I don't know either. Yeah. Um, and it sounds I, I will better. talk about this. It sounds better. Uh, Jacob Bush says, more interested in why it isn't spelled A-N-H-E-U-S-E-R. <laughs> With as much beer goes down the gullet on the average course. And uh, when I first heard about Heiser and Anheuser, That's I thought, thought that was exactly what it was, was a reference to beer. <laughs> you know what? There's a chance it is. 
Yeah. There really is. But that's really what I thought. And it, it, I have no idea why they call it that, but that's really what I thought. It, I mean, I, I hope it's not, but it really could be that it yeah. came from Anheuser-Busch. Like, the more Bush, the more Anheuser. Like, you're getting worse. And then they changed the spelling to try and separate from Anheuser. You have no idea. So That's a good theory. Yeah. I hope it's not true, but I could get behind it. Okay. <laughs> that's um, funny. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jacob. And Dan. Yeah, and Dan. And yes. Dan. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Uh, this next one is from Ranger Peterson. Ooh. Uh, grip. Big, small hands, follow through, stretching, snap, inner thoughts before shooting executions. That's a lot of things. That's there. a lot of, yeah. Um, okay. It's kind of how Ranger talks, though. I've, I've met Ranger. And He's a very quick thinker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked about grip. Uh, we both have larger hands, so uh-huh. I don't like a narrow rim on a driver. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that I'm trying to power grip, I don't like a narrow rim. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm fan gripping something, that's fine, but I feel like if I fan grip a driver, unless I'm just trying to like a weird layup with it, which I would rather use a mid, um, I don't, you know, I, I don't feel mm-hmm. like I can get as well. I don't get a lot of distance period, but I just don't like to fan grip something. Um, what about you? Uh, power grip speeds nine and up. Uh, fan grip. Uh, well, I lock my pinky, but modified fan five and down, and then the in between. I can't decide which one feels better, so I don't throw them. Okay. And I'm gonna blame hand size to rim size. It just nothing feels good, yeah. so I don't use them. But I've heard a lot of people with smaller hands that like that love yeah. fairway drivers. Yeah. Because it just feels more comfortable in their hands. Mm-hmm. They don't like something like a destroyer or a mm-hmm. you know ballista or something. And like to that. me, to me, the big rims are comfortable. Yeah. Like the twelve thirteen is comfortable well those are comfortable to me i just can't necessarily get the distance out of them mm-hmm. so and i think that's probably why i like throwing like a shrike or a boss is, just... is because they feel comfortable in my hands mm-hmm. um i believe that if i could get that same feel out of a slower speed disc i would probably get more distance because i'm not getting the speed potentially you know but th- they just don't feel very good and i feel like i grip lock them too yeah. too easily and I, i'm glad that comes up my my tip would be if it feels good throw it yeah and it's doing roughly what it should be doing. Yeah. It's just not going as far as it does for you. Mm-hmm. But it it's doing it's getting down the fairway and going generally where I want it to go. If yeah, I, that's as long as I feel like I did what I was trying to do. Perfect. So, um, I think follow through. Let it happen. Yeah, I don't don't force it. Just yeah, just go. Um, I think that's something that naturally I've kind of I was told that I I have some because mm-hmm. I will actually like follow through. That's probably just. I don't know, learning other sports and things. And um, it's a really good way to avoid injury too, mm-hmm. is just follow through and just let your body do what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, just think about it the same way that you would with a car. You know, if you put on the brakes and let it slow down over time, uh, that's great. If you try to stop it on a dime, you a are going to keep going. So yeah. inertia still works. So just let inertia take your body where it's going. Yeah. Don't, don't focus on it, but don't try to stop it either. Um, he also says stretching. And I think, that really helps with follow through. I do like stretching quite a bit before yeah. rounds. I don't spend a lot of time doing it. Um, you and I have played enough together. I think we have a similar enough warm up routine. But I'm about three minutes of stretching. Yeah, ish. And mostly it's just talk while I'm talking on the pad, mm-hmm. and waiting maybe for the the pad to clear, or just mm-hmm. kind of walking around and getting a little bit of warm up. Yeah. Um, but I will mostly stretch out my shoulders and neck and try to get my back yep. loose a little bit and yep. kind of that uh, rotational waist. Like yep. I do shoulders, back, and then legs sometimes. I should stretch more. 
I guess. If you're looking for a good warm-up, Disc Golf Strong has yes. a great setup. Yeah. It's like a 10-minute deal, and it warms everything up. Yeah. He has a lot yeah. of good videos out. Well, and I, I'm saying this a little bit ironically. Um, well, not ironically. I'm knowing, I'm knowing the irony of what I'm saying here, because I've talked so much about how Disc Golf isn't a great workout. Uh, it's been so freaking hot lately. <laughs> And my game's getting a little better, so I'm throwing a little farther, and I'm actually my rate of play is increasing a little bit. Uh -huh. So I am actually getting more of a workout on the course. Nice. Uh, but I've also got a very heavy bag. But again, still loading up my bag if mm -hmm. I if I feel like I want to work out. So, um, but yeah, the playing in the summer is very different than playing in the fall or winter. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. Oh, at the at that tournament. Um, so on. Chris knows this course. So on hole three, we were throwing from the top position, the high pad. Okay. So there's two pads and one's up high on a pavilion above a hill. But the pin was in, I can't remember which position the pin was in, but it was the one where you basically just need to go straight over the big tree in front of you. Okay. And um, I didn't know even where the pin was. I actually thought it, I was off on where I thought it was. Um, but uh, the organize, the TD, which was ended up being Andrew at this one, was there, thankfully, so he could kind of tell us what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, the thumber seems to be the best shot. So I tried a thumber and it nicked the very top leaves. Otherwise, oh. it was great shot. Like it really was great. No. And honestly, like it was a little bit disappointing. That one turned into a five as well because of that. But like it was pretty good. Honestly, like it got it, it was if it went honestly 14 inches higher or less, it would have been totally clear like it was starting to turn oh, and it was doing exactly what it should have done so that could have been such a good first thumber experience it wasn't bad though i guess yeah. is what i'm saying like i i my form was okay like it did it went where i wanted it to go it was just a really tough shot because it was a i've never thrown from that tee pad in the summer either so to not be able to see the course because the tree's right in front of you yeah, uh, yeah and totally so to not be able blind. to see through the tree at all it was mm -hmm. it was a little bit weird but yeah still cool yeah um snap I don't know how to snap. Coincidental. You think I, so? I don't think you should seek it. I don't think. Oh, you that's should when you it. like hear the snap from yep. your fingers. That's what I've heard too. I think like if you're looking for it, you're probably going to worry about too much other stuff and yep. not do what you should do. Yep. Uh, but I I don't do it. Do you ever get a snap? Sometimes, not normally. Yeah. I, um, I definitely don't. People who throw much farther than myself say that when you're going for just pure distance, snap is actually detrimental. Hmm. But then you watch people like Drew Gibson or Paul Uliberry throw. And it sounds like a clap when they let go, and they throw plenty far. So, yeah, well, I think it just happens based on how your hand is holding the disc. Yeah, and, and probably out. like the shape and length of your fingers, and mm -hmm. it's very personal. Yeah. Okay. Don't seek it. Don't avoid it. And then inner thoughts before shot execution. Kind of talked about this on other episodes, but mm -hmm. um, I just try to clear my mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. If I think too much, I overthink it, and it doesn't do well. Yeah. Yeah, I like just do it. Um, if I'm doing something harder or like nervous or shaky or whatever, um, a friend in Idaho a couple of years back gave me a mini that says be great. So I'll say be great. I am great. There and then go. I can do cooler things. Nice. So anything positive, never, never end on a negative note of, you know, don't hit this tree or don't go in the water. Yeah. Think about the good result and the good execution. Well, that remind on this tournament, I, I just had the thought too, and I shared this with my wife cause she's crucial in this part, but um, I just had the thought like 
time playing terribly. <laughs> like I, I knew that I was on track to be at or near the bottom of the card. I was at the bottom of the card. I hit, I hit, I hit bottom. Uh, but I thought like, well, I'm not doing well at this game, but I'm enjoying myself. And then I had the thought too, like everything else, like I've got a great life and I, I feel like I can say that. And I hope everyone else feels like they can honestly say that, but mm-hmm. I'm really happy with my life. Um, Right now, you know, there's I, I certainly get grumpy moods, and you guys that listen to the show have heard me be grumpy, or at least when I talk about that, I've been grumpy lately. But mm-hmm. I don't know, my my serotonin balanced or something. I don't know, um, but I was in a good mood, and so that helped me kind of get through because I could have been frustrated and played even worse. Um, but I just thought like, well, it's a nice day. It's kind of overcast. It's not as hot as it could be, mm-hmm. and I've got what you know. I've got a good life. And yeah. I'm out here playing disc golf and it's fun. And uh, so that that's something that helps me just a little bit to kind of get over yeah. the, the frustration. That's good. I like so, that. Okay. Um, the next question or next uh, yeah, question is uh, from Brendan Michael Vanderpool. I guess more of a statement than a question or a talking point. Hi, Brendan. Uh, mixed cards versus division set cards. Ooh, I like. I like this too. Go ahead. Well, you go ahead. I've been talking a lot. Well, but I feel like I might bias you. <laughs> No, I, I've already got my opinion. Okay. Um, I think they're fun. I don't like Which them are fun? for sanctioned events. Mixed cards. Okay. If it's like a fundraiser or a charity event. Like a non-sanctioned tournament. Yeah, I think mixed cards is fine. You can hang out with more people instead of the same, you know, locally 15, 20 people you see all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, for sanctioned events, I really don't like it. I think the mental game of being on a card of people way better than you or way worse than you kind of takes off the pressure of competing with the people you're playing with. So I think depending on your mindset, either playing with the people you're playing against or not can be advantageous. So like if you put Macbeth on a card with rec players and you put Ricky on a card with Eagle, Simon and Drew, Rick's going to shoot gonna better. Have a better game. Yeah. yeah. Because he knows what's happening. He's going to compete in I the mean, moment. Likely. I would imagine that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Paul will still do well. Yeah. But those 16, 17 downs, those come from the battling. The, yeah. I want to beat you. Yeah. You can do that. I can do more. Well, you're 14 down. I've got to try to get 16 down. Yeah. Yeah. And so that comes from like feature cards. I hate when they do stacked feature cards because those guys always do better than they would. Because they're good and they want to compete. Yeah. But that kind of is kind of similar to me to mixed divisions. Is if you're a lax person playing with, say, lower divisions is going to be easier. You're going to excel. Where that same casual person playing against competitors is going to be tenser and not score as well. Or vice versa, depending on your mental game. Yeah. So, unsanctioned yes, sanctioned no. I uh, would tend to agree with you. I don't play as many tournaments, but I've been on a couple mixed cards and a couple set cards. Um, the set cards are in some ways easier because like, I don't have to worry about... Because I don't have a ton of buddies in this community. Like I don't... I've, I've talked about it. I mostly play by myself just due to my schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like looking around like feeling like the fat kid in gym class who's getting picked last, uh-huh. you know, which is not the case. Like somebody's always happy to have me on their card. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it, it takes that stress a little bit out of like, you know, and also like you, you see people sometimes, you know, before a tournament, like posting like, okay, who wants to card up, which is fine. But, you know, you just know it's done and it's set. Mm-hmm. Um the benefit to a mixed card for me is getting to play potentially with better players that I don't normally get to play with. 
Um, so I play, go out and play with you, Chris, and it's helpful to my game. It's very helpful to my game. Um, but playing with other good players that mm-hmm. play a little differently and see a line differently and, and is even is helpful as well. So it's just getting more experience and, and more benefit. Um, the converse of that is I'm not great at this game. Like I finished at or near the bottom of, of all my tournaments. And if I'm playing with somebody who's, uh, you know, an open player and I'm playing rec, it might frustrate the hell out of them or I might feel like I'm frustrating them. Uh-huh. And so that can get into my head where I feel like I'm I, personally, that just drives me nuts. If I feel like somebody's having to wait on me um, and I will try to tell myself like, look, no, I played this. This is this is what's going on. So that's the, the downside to a mix. Mm-hmm. That's not usually going to happen because usually mixes like find somebody's and, and yeah. you know, work it out. Um, but I think the set I agree with you is good because it's, you're playing against people that, you're playing against theoretically yes and the theoretically are similar enough level to you Mm -hmm. and so you can say like you know it gives you an idea of of where you think things might be Mm -hmm. so um that i mean we could go into a whole thing about like playing out of your division and not going and playing up playing down i don't want to go into that right now but uh because i think we've talked about that before but i feel like yeah i'm I'm just gonna go ahead and agree with you sanction round i definitely would like them set um, or at least semi set. Like this is your division. You got to find somebody in your division to play with. Yeah, I like uh, playing your division. Yeah, and then um, and I also kind of just like the set thing because it's nice to meet new people. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, I don't like making my own card. Yeah. I mean, I do because I play with friends, but. Yeah, it's nice to meet new people, and it just takes the pressure off of like, oh, I didn't play with you, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's so. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think that's where we are on that. So there's there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. So I think if you're a TD and you're trying to figure out what to do, look at what type of tournament this is. Is this yeah. just a fun fundraiser to like help you know somebody in the community who's having some medical bills or something? Mm-hmm. Do a mixed card. Great. Yeah. Like have everybody Bring have a own. good time. Um, if you've got a C tier that you're trying to grow into an A tier or to a B tier, an A tier, or you know something like that, uh, set the cards. Try to run it how you would want it to be, You know how it's yeah. going to be run at the next level you're trying to get it to. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good um, summary. Okay, uh, so next question is from Hunter, and he's actually got a little two-parter here. Okay, um, the first part is how do ratings work? <laughs> and I think I asked you this like an episode or two ago. I don't know how ratings work. It's uh, the actual math of how they work is still secret. Okay, they won't release it. Um, Fair enough. The gist of it is that you take all the ratings in the event that played the same layout and that's okay back up start over anybody who's a propagator which means you have more than like five rounds on your rating or something okay so not me then on the event page your rating turns bold okay so anyone who's a propagator helps set what the round ratings will be okay so it depends directly on who is playing um and so like an nt it's going to be Ratings are higher. Top pros, yeah, and their ratings yeah. are higher. In a local C tier, it's going to be the dudes who play a lot locally. Mm-hmm. So my, if I shoot the same skill level of golf at an NT, say I get a thousand for it, and if okay. I come back to Salt Lake and do that, I'll probably get nine fifty, just because we cap out at nine eighty here. Yeah, there are like four or five people at nine eighty, and then traveling, there are way more. So even though I'm playing the same skill, the ratings do differ based on who's playing. But the idea is that the average of all those propagator ratings, the average rating, 
you take the middle of the scores, the middle of the ratings, and start kind of there. Okay. So. And then you go up or down yeah. and what plug it into whatever algorithm they use. Yeah, it's roughly like eight or nine points per stroke um, as par goes up. So like a par 54 course, say it's 10 points a stroke. Yeah. If the par is like 70, it might be like five or six points a stroke just because the percent differential goes down. So if you feel like, you know, you go play your local C tier and the high, the, the average of the top rated players there is like 950. Uh-huh. But you just blow it out of the water and you shoot, you know, sixteen under. Um, you're not going much above nine fifty because that's just where the rating is set, right? It, it depends on how everyone else does because okay. there are only so many rating points available. Okay. Theoretically, other than I guess um, majors and NTs and super big events, they'll buff buff ratings a little bit. Um, but if you had that same tournament and the rating of the average people, or the, the you know players was eleven hundred then yeah. your 16 under is going to be significantly higher than playing against players who's yeah, but shooting it, 950. It also depends on how they shoot. Okay. So if if in the pool of 950, you shoot 16 down and the next second place shoots par even, you're going to get 1075 or something. something because you're big. that much higher. Because you won by a ton, so you're going to take all the points from them oh, to okay. your round. Oh, so there's a pool of points yep. for every tournament. Pretty much. And... Okay. Yeah. But then if you go shoot 16 in the pool of 1050 golfers, in second place is 15 or 14. So all of our local pros love when I show up to a tournament then because they're getting a ton of points from me. But not necessarily because you're only... <laughs> One person. 700 rated. Seven. I think I'm like... Four, Whatever it is. I'm, I think I'm like rated like 12. <laughs> so, But yeah, so you're 12 points. No matter what yeah. you do, you're going to be above your rating. You're actually pulling points from us. Oh, okay. So as long as you do, you know, whatever that 1050 so, strokes difference is within us so from a ratings perspective what you really want is ricky or eagle to show up to your local tournament and bomb it yeah yeah that's the best way to get ratings is to have high rated players not do well okay yeah so and like does a dnf count in ratings as well or does is that something different? they probably just wipe it yeah i would imagine yeah so but paul shows up shoots an 86 yeah you shoot 50 you're in business you're doing great yeah but i mean shared with the pool and stuff but yeah sure yeah but if you look at um, the top players' ratings, um, I haven't done this in a couple of years, so if it's not still true, I'm sorry. But Paul and Rick play pretty much just big events. And then people like Paul Uliberry play a bunch of little events. So he wins these C tiers by 5, 10 or more strokes, and he's getting like 10, 20 for it. Because he'll go play these small events where there's no one else high rated. And he'll win by a ton, mm-hmm. and he'll get maybe his rating. Okay. Whereas if anyone else big went to that, he'd be going up. Because it's just bringing the, whole, so the yeah. average up. Once you get to a certain point, playing small events kind of pulls your rating back down. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got to keep playing. Yeah. So I guess the answer is, this is what Chris thinks ratings, how ratings work. And it seems like how most people I've heard talk yeah. about ratings. This is how I think. Uh, but ultimately, I don't know. Yeah, no one, no one knows for sure. A yeah, lot of people have told me they know. I'm sure PDJ has some kind of spreadsheet that they put everything into. Absolutely. Then, yeah, it spits yeah. out. And somehow I'm a point higher than the one round I've played. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I haven't checked my Rounding rating Rounding error. Somebody check my rating. It's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> um, so the second part of Hunter's question is a very long email, and I'm just going to give the bullet points of this. Okay. So um, kind of a long story. Something kind of fun slash sad, depending on how you look at it. Um 
And so he says he only throws prodigy. And then he talks about his younger brother. Um, the fun, fun slash sad. I really thought this email was going to go on about like how his brother died. I was really bummed out. And so when we actually get to what happened, it was no big deal, Hunter. But, uh, so his, hunter, his brother gave him a disc that he just loves, a 164D1. Okay. Um, just a disc that like a it, was, it was like my Grimace Shrike, like just his disc that was his money. Uh, he had a great shot with it. It ended up in a soybean field and it was there for a week before they found it again. And But uh, apparently a rodent had eaten about half an inch of plastic out of the rim. So Dude. my thought on that is... I don't, it could be a rodent. I haven't seen it. So it very well could be that. Uh, and rodents will chew on anything. Cause he asked what kind of rodents eat plastic. Yeah. Like I, I've had like gerbils, they'll eat everything. Yep. But I'm wondering if it was like a piece of farm equipment, just nicked it. That just would, to, yeah. Cause that's what I thought was going to happen when it was in the soybean field, like a combine went over it and just tore it shreds. But, uh, he did already though, replace his disc via infinitedisc.com. So, nice. and I'm, I'm hoping using promo code. MDG, which is not active right now. Let's we'll see if we can get you guys another one. Yeah, but uh, yeah, glad it's. Well, I guess getting it back when it is half missing isn't as satisfying. No, well, it's not but, half missing. It's but it's still cool that he found it. But the thing is, that's still a legal disc, right? Because that was natural wear and tear. Or? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, you could pass it off as a rock gouge. Yeah, I don't think you'd want to throw it anymore if it's missing that much plastic. Yeah, I'd ha- I'd want to see it. I I would actually be very curious to see how it flies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Did I talk about the Aerobie boomerangs last time? I don't remember. I took one of those out with my kids to the big field over here. Okay. And um, I can't quite get it to where I can catch it, but it certainly, it, they come back on you real easy. That's awesome. But it will come land near enough to me. But then I figured out if I throw it sidearm, like on a just flat, like flat uh-huh. sidearm, because you normally throw it like a 30 degree angle and kind of flick it. Okay. Uh, but if I full, so throw it full sidearm, it goes straight and then way up. And then falls back down at that angle. So it's like Whoa. if you've ever ridden Superman at Magic Mountain, yep. it's basically that. Forward up, down back. Incredibly satisfying. That's so cool. Yeah. And is it is it like a plus sign? Uh, no, or it's a triangle. Three. Okay. Yeah. I think they call it the orbiter. But okay. And then I lost it. Clever. <laughs> Bought another one, though. Good. Um, but they're a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, so thanks, Hunter. That's a lot of stuff but yeah i don't really know how ratings work um next one jacob bush uh how about why i can't seem to get my stuff to not say jay marmot that's <laughs> that's meant to be a youtube handle but the internet is creepy as hell and spreads things around like the herpy or er- lurpies uh i don't know <laughs> you're gonna have to, to reach out to if it's if it's one. your youtube handle it's probably said as your google nickname because yeah because that's the, the name that we show up yeah when you when you send us something through gmail that's what that's yeah. what we see go through your google settings uh i to be you know pull back the curtain a little bit i was pretty sure it was jacob that wrote the first time we got something from jay marmot but i thought he was trying to be incognito so yeah yep. um but uh yeah thanks jay marmot um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, from Daniel Stalter again, talk more about the Fort Buenaventura 18 uh, heart, eyes, smiley face. So oh, I've never really played it. it. He really likes it. I think we've talked about the Fort quite a bit lately, but um, here, let me, okay, I'm going to talk about the Fort based okay. on what you've told me, and then we'll go out on this. Perfect. Um, really challenging course, uh, tournament level course, like and 
you know, designed to hopefully is like a, they're hoping that it can be like a, a, a good tournament course, bring some tournaments there. Um, camouflaged baskets <laughs> and you will lose discs. Is that uh, pretty good? Yeah. I, I'd give you like a, a B plus. That was on my book report. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from B, reading B plus for the cliff. Notes. Yeah, yeah. That's my book report. Reading the back jacket. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's not far off. Yeah. Okay. Did um, I miss out anything? Is there any other like key points that I missed? You don't have to lose discs. Um, a lot of very technical shots, a lot of trees. It'll age very well. And meaning like as the forest grows in around it. Yeah. And as we clear out walking paths mm-hmm. and kind of the course will mature, it'll turn shots will open up. Um, it'll be awesome. And pro layout coming soon. Oh, same some, basket some positions, big, but just different. Yeah. I think mostly just different tee pads, maybe a okay. couple different baskets, but some, are the pads permanent. Yeah, concrete. Nice. Some big over-the-water shots, though, which will be cool. I have to go check this out. Um, and then my other comment is, if you get to learn how to play on that course, you're going to be way better than I am, especially in the trees. Yeah. So take advantage of that as a park to learn at, anybody. If you have the option to learn on a wooded course or an open course, do the wooded one. That's really where my game started to fall apart is when I got into the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still do. Yeah. Like... I can on a good day I can hang with most touring players, not all, most. Yeah. On an open course. On a good day I will not hang with most people in the woods. I don't I don't hit lines. Yeah, like it changes do. quite a bit cuz I've never practiced it. No, you and when I do it. hit a line, it's such a fluke that I'm like that's just awesome. And yeah. I'm just going to going to be super happy that it flew through those trees and didn't hit anything. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Like you throw it and you're like, "Oh wow, it worked." And then dudes will line up and like park it yeah it's like, it's, uh, i don't know how uh, how yeah don't ask me <laughs> i don't i don't think i could could you know shoot a bullet through here and, and not <laughs> and they're a putting a disc through it yeah yeah something that yeah by nature does not fly straight so yep. um well enjoy Thanks. whatever course is around you yeah i'm uh, so this University of Utah course that went out, they've still got some of the baskets in, like three or four of them. Okay. Um, I wonder if they're going to leave those. I'm just kind of curious. And it's um, just going to be like a little maybe. tiny mini course. I mean, when they put in that other parking structure, they only pulled the baskets that were in the way of it. Yeah, I think that's what they did here. Cause, yeah. Well, and they're watering again in that other section. So um, I also heard a rumor, I don't know where from, that maybe they'll put a course up in the hills. Or some land they own, like in the foothills here, which would be kind of a cool little mountain course. So that would be cool. I'm sure that's just rumor and not going to happen, but that would be awesome. That's a good rumor. I haven't heard that yet. Yeah. Should, what other rumors should we start? Uh, They're putting an urban course on campus. Oh yes, I look that forward to it. You can only play uh, during the first and last week of the semester. Um, yep. And during you know school hours. Yeah. Part so that, part of the idea here is. You know, with the people walking around, yeah, which the, the add, cor- add to the difficulty. <laughs> the course is called the head wound. <sighs> uh, might have to work on that. An urban course would be awesome. Uh, I do not. I, I, in good conscience, wouldn't put one in, though. We would have to buy, like, an old mall that had gone out of business and just not tear it down. Yeah. And do that. Yeah, but I mean, like... On a busy campus, it's just where where I apparently they are they do exist as a lot on military bases, mm-hmm. like around barracks and stuff. So, 
But from what I've heard, and I've been enough, I, I don't, I've never been in the military, but I used to live in Oceanside, California, so I went on Camp Pendleton quite a bit. Uh, and there's a couple courses there, and one apparently goes around the barracks. That was before I was playing a lot. Um, but the ground is so rough. It's just like asphalt and uh, gator-backed asphalt. So it would mm. just destroy mm. <laughs> your discs. Yeah. See, I would, I would still be down. Like, oh, it would be so fun. Parking I would lots just and bring streets. A different bag. Yeah, I would bring five discs, and yeah, it'd be awesome. Yeah, and I would honestly probably buy like some low end discs every other week just to go play that course because they would break in that quick. Yep, yep, that's yeah. about right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, right in, this was really great. We got a whole episode of content from y'all. So, and use um, and <laughs> y'all's using. Yuns. 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 Yeah. That one hurts to say. <laughs> Forgot about that. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, until next time, keep your own plastic. Cheers. Cheers.